Jen. Hi, Sarah. Fade Mates Live happened. Oh, God, Sarah, Fade Mates Live was so amazing. It was really fun. It was, like, it was ridiculously fun. It was honestly, like, obscene how fun it was. It was also obscene. <laughs> it, extremely. <laughs> Eric was like, I'm shocked that the dirtiest thing that was ever said on the podcast was not said by the two of you. <laughs> it was said by Di- Naima Simone and then exacerbated. Would we use exacerbated? Amplified, maybe. Enhanced. <laughs> there you go. Nice. Enhanced by several people in the audience. And uh, we'll let you be the judge of that. It's going to be released during our break at the end of August or beginning of September. Yeah. Um, but bless. We were thrilled to have Naima with us. Yeah. Um, and Allie Hazelwood, who oh. promised me she'd return. Oh, yeah. She was, we're definitely having her on. That's, it's, it's not scheduled on my calendar, but it is scheduled in my heart. You guys, here's what Jen and I discovered that we're really excited about. Allie Hazelwood is one of us. Oh, yeah. She it is. was great. <laughs> Actually, I think maybe we could talk about that book today, pot- potentially. Mm. But she talked about a book called Hold by Claire Kent, which Sarah and I, like, both think is amazing. Like, so much so that I realized that we should really deep dive it in season five. Yes. Yeah. But it is also, like, not a starter romance. There are no training wheels four hundred in the level. same galaxy in this as this romance. Yes. Graduate level. <laughs> <laughs> and so to have Allie Hayes would casually be like, yeah, it was amazing. Yeah. It was great. So we were very happy to meet Allie. We, and then we had Diana Quincy on, which was the first time we've had Diana. And she was really great, too. And I think those were all of our firsts. Everybody else was a five-timer. There were five-timers. And then there were just regular timers. Yeah. Because we had eight people. It was amazing. It was amazing. And so that will, you will be able to listen to that recording uh, very soon, a couple yeah. weeks. So just you'll it'll drop surprisingly onto your podcatcher, and there'll be like a little. We'll have to do a little intro. I think one of the things we used a platform so that there was like audience participation, and so if you hear just like a huge burst of laughter, but nobody said anything, it's because the audience said something. Um, but also, we should talk about bookstore romance day. But first, Jen, yes, welcome everyone. To Faded Mates. I'm Sarah McLean. I read romance novels and I write them. And I'm Jennifer Prokop, a romance reader and editor. And yes, I'm sorry, like I have housekeeping things to take care of. One of the, we had eight guests at Faded Mates Live. We were going to have nine. One of our guests, C. Travis Rice, could not attend that night. He ended up having to cancel going to a Polycon, but we have invited him. To our special, I, it's, I'm going to say Zoom, but it's on like some other platform, on the night of August, August 19th. 19th. Yeah, August 19th at 8 Eastern. We're going to have a kind of opening event for It's Faded Mates Live with Christina Warren and C. Travis Rice. So the five of us are going to do it up. Yuck it up. We're, and there's not even really, we're just going to talk about romance and things we love and, you know, really celebrate romance and books. And then the next day, which is the 20th, there will be lots of in-person events, which Sarah's about to talk about in a minute, and also other events online that you can participate in to be part of Bookstore Romance Day. Yes, it's going to be awesome. And if you are in New England or New York and near Connecticut, you might want to head over to RJ Julia in Madison, Connecticut to watch me and Tessa Bailey Ooh. yuck it up <laughs> so fun. for the launch of Heartbreaker, which is my new book that comes out on August 23rd. You can get a special collector's event edition of Heartbreaker. It's a hardcover uh, signed by me and all of Tessa's books and... Uh, we're going to have a lot of fun. And if you love Tessa like we do and you love me like I hope we do, <laughs> um, it might be really fun. That's August 20th at 4 o'clock p.m. And you can check show notes for links. But we would love to have as many New Englanders as possible join us for just celebrating romance novels, which is the best. I am jealous I can't be there. Two weeks later, I will be in Connecticut. There are, as far as, far as I know, no romance events happening that weekend. So, um, my romance man is moving little romance back to college. That's fine. 
But maybe we'll see each other then. Yes. I realized we took zero photographs. Yeah. Together when we were together. <laughs> so, you know, maybe we could get together and do an Instagram live or something. That would be really fun. Okay. Yeah. So, all right. Even though we'll be on hiatus, there will still be really fun things happening in August. Check show notes, check our social medias, and we'll be talking about it. Okay. Is that all the housekeeping things, Sarah? Yeah, you're in charge of housekeeping. Okay. I have kept the house. <laughs> I worked, I filled out an Excel spreadsheet today, so I feel really You like, did. You also kept I have the house. Really done done a great job today for Fade and I have one last reminder. If you have not, if you were can attend on the 20th, you can still mm-hmm. get signed copies of Heartbreaker from Word in Brooklyn. Show notes will also have that link. Yes, but also, if you were not able to attend Fade and Live, which many of you were not because... Obviously, the world exists. It's big and round. Um, But you would like to buy signed copies of books by the people who were there. There are a ton of signed books uh, still available at Old Town Books. We all signed stock before we left. Yeah. Um, And so you can check show notes. There are links to that page as well. Perfect. Okay. That now I'm now I have kept now we're officially done. We've sold more books. Okay. That's our real primary our you know our prime purpose. What do you say when that's your your prime directive? Yeah, whatever. Sorry. Yeah. I love it when people tell me that we've spent all their money for them. Oh yeah. I feel that's a real success on our part for sure. Yeah. We're not sorry. We're not sorry that you've spent all your spending money on books. Um, but you should know that there is a great plugin that you could just have on your computer and it will tell extension. you when you're looking at something. It's a library extension. We'll put links to it. And uh, you should put it on so that when you go to Amazon or Barnes & Noble or any other bookstore page, yes. the library extension taps you on the shoulder and is like, dummy, go get it from the library for free. <laughs> and in fact, one of the books I'm going to talk about today, Not by the way, it... It will do it both for their, like, Overdrive collection, which is what you can look at Libby, but it also, on Hoopla, it was like, it's available on Hoopla. So. Perfect. Okay, so, Sarah, I struggled this week. You do not. That's okay. Sometimes we're different that way. What is our, (laughs) I love our topic, but I was surprised. How have my thoughts about it changed after we decided on it? Oh, interesting. What we're doing? Yeah. Okay, so we decided we would talk about anti-heroines this week because we spent a lot of time over the years on Fade Mates talking about how much we love an anti-hero. Yeah. How much we love a hero who say will rip his heart out and send it to you in a box and, you know, murder a bunch of people because he loves you. Here's a bag of um, heads. Yeah, deliver you the heads of your enemies. Uh, we love thieves. We love criminals. I've written a whole lot of... You know, smugglers, criminals, people who do nefarious things. I love redeeming a hero. Uh, I love a hero redeemed. We've talked about morality chain. We've talked about dark romance, Mm -hmm. which is filled with, you know, generally bad heroes. Largely, we're talking largely about MF, like, cishet white dudes in romance. But we haven't done a lot of talking about heroines and women specifically, who maybe aren't that nice and maybe don't make good decisions. Yeah. And so we started thinking about this as uh, there aren't as many, but the ones who exist are just as badass. So I thought it would be really easy, right? I think it's easier and historical. Like, I feel like there I was kind of like, okay. Most of mine are historical. Right? Like, and that then became like an interesting thing. Um, just to like think about why that why there's room for that in historical in the way that we have maybe a different set of we the royal we of romance readers have a different expectation for like kind of contemporary heroines. Um, but I also was really surprised. So I sent our friend Joe Brenner, who was on our dark romance. I was like, okay, give me like some anti heroines from dark romance, but like kind of Heather Gray. I don't really want it to be that dark. And she was like, there's not that many. And then I was interested in that too, right? Mm -hmm. Because here, well, I just was. (laughs) I just was interested in that too. So, yeah, I mean, I I know Joe recommended this to you separate from me. I did the same thing where I sort of instantly was, I made a list 
almost immediately yeah. had, you know, six books without even thinking that I could talk about off the top of my head. Um, but of course, because we had done that dark romance interstitial, because we've been talking about we've done a mafia interstitial, mm-hmm. because obviously that's happening in the romance zeitgeist. I was like, where are those books where the heroines are as problematic or make right. the same kind of problematic decisions as heroes do? Yeah. Um. So I have not read this, and I got to be honest, guys, it's like kind of not for Sarah. <laughs> but it looks like Pam Godwin has a series called uh, Deliver, the Deliver series, and the heroine of the first book um, is a real bad person who, yeah. you know, to save her family, right? And I think I have a feeling you're gonna. This yes. is where you're. This is what you're thinking about here is motivation. So like, she has a. It's funny because in my experience in dark romance, there often isn't very much motivation assigned to these terrible heroes, but this particular heroine, in order to. Um, protect her family. Her motivation for being bad is protecting her family. Mm -hmm. And she delivers young men to be sold into captivity. Now, right, when you write a heroine like this in romance, like, she has a reason as opposed to just, you know, I'm Lothair. (laughs) Now, one of the things I actually thought might be an interesting place to start is, because I'm sure it must be on your list too, is to maybe talk about two books that are not really part of romance, but that I think maybe might be interesting. And I'm sure maybe one of them is Jane Doe. Was that on your list? It was not, but let's talk about it. Okay. I've talked about it before, I think. Yeah. And I think that's the other thing. This feels like one of those episodes where I'm like, we've talked about these books in other ways, but here they are again. Mm -hmm. I would also like to, along with Jane Doe, talk about a book called, which is not a romance, called My Sister the Serial Killer Mm. by... um, Onikon Braithwaite. I'm sure I'm mispronouncing her name. I apologize. Um, Because I think that those two books kind of do have that protecting the, protecting someone or like revenge, I guess, Mm -hmm. but in a way that is like really interesting. So Jane Doe was written by Victoria Helen Stone, who writes romance as Victoria Dahl. And it is a real barn burner of a book, right? It's great. It's amazing and she her essentially her best friend like she's a sociopath right like this one person that she had a really close human connection with um was really gaslit and by a man and she decides Jane Doe right decides to take revenge on him by making him fall in love with her so that she can like break his heart and ruin him Mm mm-hmm and I love Yeah. It. <laughs> it's great. Yeah. I mean, it's a very um it's a very angry book. Like it's mm-hmm. for it's for those of us who are just really angry right now. Mm-hmm. And aside from being angry, it's just you, well, uh Victoria Helen Stone is Victoria Dahl, and we are on the record here as loving Victoria Dahl. We've done deep dives on her books, we've talked about her books a lot. Um, but Victoria is amazing online. She is somebody who is, like, she is a great voice for all of us. She voices a lot of our own, like, anger and frustration in the world. And this book felt like exactly what I wanted when I read it in, like, 2020, I think. Yeah, right. Oh, yeah, for sure. It was written, you know, on the heels of Me Too, and it felt like what we deserve. Um, You know, if you think about... um, did you ever see that movie, Promising Young Woman? I didn't only because I got spoiled for the ending and then realized it wasn't going to be for me. Yeah. So, I mean, it's this con, the same, a similar cons. Not, it's, the books are very, the book is very different than a Promising Young Woman, Promising Young Woman, but um, that sort of vengeance, like, yeah, heroines, I want that now in, in books. Like, I'm interested in that as a, as a, concept, this idea of, like, well, unsurprisingly, considering what I'm writing right now, like, I'm interested in this idea of women just sort of being fed up. Yeah. And deciding that they were going to 
right. take heads. So I think the thing that's like really interesting about this book, and then also I want to talk about my sister, the serial killer. It's kind of like framing kind of some of the ways I thought about mm-hmm. this is one of the things that's really clear to me, or it's I it feels like something I want to say is that when I get an anti-heroine in a book like this who's a woman, the the big bad is always like the patriarchy, right? It's really clear that like it's not as it yes, it's about like this individual person, but it's also about this system, right? The system that treats women a certain way and how uh, limited our ways of like taking control back really are. And so in my sister, mm-hmm. the serial killer, um, it starts, it's a very short book. You could literally read this book in like a, in an in an hour or two. It's so tight. Um she, the, the the narrator, essentially, it opens with her sister calling her and kind of being like, um, I killed him. And then it says, I had hoped I'd, I would never hear those words again. Mm. <laughs> and so she goes and her sister has, has killed this man with this knife. She's essentially, and then, you know, the two of them, like, kind of take the body and dispose of it with, and it turns out her sister has killed three men. And so... The main character is like I um again, I'm sorry for pronouncing her name wrong. It looks like um Corday. Corday is like, you're a you know, thinking like she's a serial killer once you kill three people. Like that's what it is. And then what happens is she starts dating, she's a nurse, she starts dating a doctor at work, and then her sister essentially steals this man from her. Hmm. And by the end of the book, has attempted to kill him. And it's really this, like, fascinating, like, kind of journey you go on as a reader trying to decide, like, whose side you're really on. Mm. I think it is probably one of the most brilliant, like, kind of lit fix books. I, I don't read a whole lot of them anymore, right? This book, I think, is really terrific. And if you like Jane Doe, I think it hits, like, a similar kind of, it hits in a really similar way. But I'm just really fascinated in this case because, you know, in Jane Doe, it's like she's taking vengeance on her friend, for for her Mm -hmm. friend. Right, it's very, like, yeah. Right, here, it's like the two of them together at some point. And I'm really fascinated by this book. So it's not a romance, but I think it, like, really hits upon kind of what I expect when I think of an anti-heroine, which is really someone who has decided, to me, it's like, I cannot win the game, so I'm going to stop playing it their way, and I'm going to play it my way. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I think there is real value now in a heroine who does have an edge, right? I feel like we are all struggling right now as people in the world with our anger and our frustration with the world around us. And we don't want to be nice and sweet anymore, many of us. Like, we want permission to sting. Yeah. And so what anti-heroines give us as, you know, women reading um, is a feel of what it is to be allowed to sting. Yeah. Um, And also in romance, A Happily Ever After, which is not always a promise. I mean, I mentioned Promising Young Woman, and that is not a promise in all stories about vengeance. This week's episode of Faded Mates is sponsored by Alexander Harvey, author of How to Marry a Duke, the second book in the Cinderella Society series. Okay, here's the deal. Talk about a heroine who has to get things done, even if it means a little bit of crime. (laughs) Uh, Meg Swift, her uncle, has tripled the estate rents, and so she is stuck. She is doing all sorts of odd jobs around the estate and maybe stealing one or two things in order to make sure that she can, you know, pay her uncle bills. Unfortunately, she has a little bit of a problem in that Dougal Black, 
who was a Miller until about 10 seconds ago, <laughs> has now been told that he is the rightful heir to the dukedom, the local dukedom. I love it when they all of a sudden fall into a title. Me too. It's like my favorite microtrope. Um, so anyway, Dougal has no desire nor any idea about how to be a duke because he literally was just working in the mill house. And um, look, Meg does. And she needs some money. So she's going to help him. They are going to work together. They're going to contend with a battalion of debutantes who are coming through house tours in the dukedom <laughs> like, to see the con- the estate house and also possibly catch a glimpse of Dougal and like woo him into marrying them. Um, but here's the deal. There are treasure hunters. There are debutantes who are looking for somebody to marry them. And Meg realizes quite quickly that poor Dougal just can't handle it. She's gonna, He's going to need big help and that is going to need that means that she's going to have to marry him. I mean, marriage of convenience. There's no better trope than that. The How to Marry a Duke and the rest of the books in the Cinderella Society series are available in print and ebook. You can find out more by following Alexandra on Twitter and Instagram. Um, Alexandra H on Twitter. That's Alexandra with a Y. And Alexandra Harvey author on Instagram. Thanks to Alexandra for sponsoring the episode. So why do you think that historical, why does this work better or, or why is it easier in historical? Why was it easier to find? I mean, in my, in my contemporaries, I have like lawbreakers, but I don't, and outside of like Cressley, which is not contemporary, right? I don't have a lot of like true anti-heroines as much as I have like people who just have are like living on the margins, maybe. Right. 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 Yeah. I mean, I think that in contemporary, I I don't know. I think that we hold contemporary heroines to a higher standard of behavior. Um, You know, we've talked about this before that historical really is fantasy. Yeah. Um, So we can tell a modern story. We can, we can, we can sort of talk about anger or frustration or like the sting without having to actually require those characters to look like us, talk like us, act like us, mm-hmm. you know, behave in the way that we, we find, you know, I mean, I think historical characters can be extra yes, in a way that we seem not to be able to allow contemporary characters to be, which is a big bummer. I mean, we've talked about this before on the podcast, sure. recently on the podcast. Like, it is a big bummer for me. I want contemporary characters to also be extra. Yeah, right. Me too. But it feels like when you think about, even when you think about other media, te- um, you know, you think about film or television where characters are anti-heroes it is very very it's almost impossible to think of a a female character who is an anti-heroine who is compelling and nuanced and sympathetic yeah i feel like i can think of like harley quinn but again she's not really contemporary she's not contemporary right it's right it's bananas you know suicides you know suicide squad land there's alice in luther for those of you who watched uh, that show, the Idris Elba show, Luther, where he's a detective and she is a sociopath. She has mm-hmm. murdered her entire family, but she did it so carefully that basically Luther knows, but he can't prove it. Mm-hmm. And she becomes like his love interest over the course of the series. Like there's a lot of like uncomfortable stuff there. And I really love Alice, mm-hmm. but I appreciate that she's an acquired taste. Yeah. Yeah. She's not for everyone, you know? Right. I don't know. For me, when I made the list, uh, I mean, I'm looking at the list right now. Yeah. There is, I do not, aside from the player. Yeah. Um, Which is a contemporary. There is, I do not have a contemporary on my list. Okay. You know, this is like a really interesting, the inverse of the unlikable heroine, right? Like, we talk about how impossible it is if, like, you know, a heroine isn't likable and all the things that that entails. But, you know, if you can't even have an unlikable heroine, you certainly cannot have a villainous heroine. You certainly no. cannot have a a selfish or greedy heroine, right? Like, it's really interesting the way, you know, even the small, can't have them even be unlikable. Well, then think about all the other things after it that we can't have right. either. Which right? goes back to motivation, right? There's, we expect 
more motivation. It was like, I can write anybody, uh, really, I mean, most of the most of the books that feature heroes who are criminals, right? Like, motivation, obviously motivation is very important for a book to be great. But um, there are a lot of books out there where the motivation for hero being bad is like, oh, well, I was sad one time. Yeah, right. You know, like, right. but if you're going to have a heroine do something bad... You know, you're going to have a heroine sell people into, you know, um, you need, she's got to have a good reason. Right. And the expectation, the way that we, you're absolutely right. I mean, it is the, it's the extreme of the unlikable, right? Like we have to know every thought in her brain, which may be the case that, you know, we talked when we did on when we did the dark romance interstitial. We talked about how these books are so you're so inside people's heads. Like, yeah, right. It feels like you almost need that structure that um, that like POV experience in a contem. You could you could see why in a contemporary you would need that sort of super deep first person POV to be able to pull off a a bad heroine. Well, I guess I have one that I would consider, like, maybe a true contemporary, like, not Mafia or Motorcycle Club or whatever. And it's called um, It Takes a Thief by Sloan Steele. And this is the first of a series where, um, of three books, where these people are essentially perpetrating a heist. So it's like a, a, a heist series. But again, there's, like, a really good reason behind it. So in the first book... Um, the woman, Audrey, is a hacker. In the second book, Nikki is an art thief. And in the third book, Mia is essentially like an heiress. And she and her cousin, who is Audrey's love interest, um, are essentially like their dads ran like a scam. And they have enough information to essentially like scam the people who they were working with. But they're going to, like, uh, Robin Hood the money, right? Like, so it's essentially, like, they're going to scam these got these bad guys by stealing their art, replacing it with forgeries. And then they're going to sell the real art and use it to essentially, like, pay back the people who were scammed in the first place, right? Mm-hmm. And it's, so it's, like, a really complicated plot and setup. And then Audrey, which is, like, the book I was reading. I haven't read the whole series yet. Although I'm, I, I like it. I think it's, like, a really... I like heist. I like, like, an Ocean's Eleven kind of vibe. Mm-hmm. Um, Audrey is the hacker, and she is doing it because her grandmother is, like, in, essentially, um, has dementia and sure. needs, like, special care. And so, you know, this is the only way she can literally, like, make enough money to, like, pay for her grandmother's care. So she has zero kind of, like, compunction about, like, the things that she's doing, but at the mm-hmm. same time, it's really interesting because she's super careful about, like, how protecting herself. So one of the, at the beginning, um, one of the sort of rules of the job is that, like, once they take this job, they can't work on any other jobs. But she is still working at this, like, coffee shop. And the guy, Jacob, who ends up being kind of the love interest, this is, you know, Mia's cousin, um, is kind of like, why would you have such, why would you have a coffee shop job? I'm, you're making so much more money right? Like doing this. And her whole thing is like, yeah, but that's all. If I look like I have a regular job, then Mm -hmm. like no one can come after me, right? Like there's no crossing of the streets. Yeah, yeah. Right? So she is in that way, I think, kind of smart and savvy enough to really understand, like, I am doing things that are really questionable and illegal. And I, I need to have like a kind of a plausible setup for what happens if I, if I get caught. Right. Um, you know, but I mean, in terms of like her hacking ability is like, it's very much like neutral. Like she's doing bad things for a good reason. Right. Which is often, I think, sort of the setup as opposed to in the player. Right. Like she really does come from a family of grifters and sees no problem yeah. with grifting people, but they only grift other grifters. Right. Do they only? Oh, I guess. Yeah, I guess. Right. Yeah. That's interesting. I guess they do. They're always they're after like. Yeah. Really wealthy, like, kind of jerks. Right. Like marks. Right. Right. Um, you know, it's a code. It's sure. A, it's a scoundrel's code. Yes. And there's something, so there's something really interesting about that, right? Because 
so we know now from a season of talking about Cressley that, like, there's no question that Cressley's love of historicals is, I mean, not knowing Cressley, I still feel like I can safely say she loves a historical, right? Yes. And I think part of why her books work so well is because she seems to sort of intuitively understand that uh, even bad characters need to have nobility, yeah. Right. Right. And I think that's where, you know, over the course of our time here on the podcast, we've talked a lot about like how that nobility is essential in building somebody who you can believe is worthy of love. Um, but again, we you it goes back to that sort of heroines have to have it sort of extra. Yeah. Right. An extra nobility. But, yeah, so I have the player. We've talked about the player before. I'm not going to rehash it super right. a lot. But those there are a lot more of you these days than there were in season one. And so, listen, if you have not read Cressley Cole's The Player, you are absolutely missing out. The heroine of this book is a con artist. She was raised by con artists. The way Cressley weaves the cons into this book um, is really remarkable. The writing of this book is great in the sense that by the end of the book, um, there's a twisty, turny ending that, you know, you might not see coming. I certainly didn't, but I'm not, you know, the smartest reader. (laughs) Um, And there is something, and this character you know, has really, has had, has had a tough time of it. Yeah. And now she has access to a a massive amount of money and, um, you know, intends very much to act with some sort of like scoundrelly nobility and not trap this man into a lifetime of giving her money. Um, But they fall in love and there's a whole other piece of it too. Um, so that's, yeah, that's mine. But I think, um, I also think there's something to be said for historicals allowing for kind of a, like, a softer grift, you know, a softer grift. Yeah, that's true. Sure. Right? Where, like, it's a little bit easier to write a character who makes bad choices or does bad things or acts bad you know, acts Mm -hmm. poorly or is a criminal or is a thief. If in a historical, you can sort of wave away, you know, a lot of the impact of their crime. Right. And also backstory, right? Historicals almost give you sort of a natural backstory. The backstory is a really interesting, I've been thinking a lot about backstory recently in romance because I feel like there is a lot more backstory in a historical usually. Like, oh yeah, in historical, we go dark, we go back to children a lot. Yeah, that's true. Childhood, right? Because it's hard to be a kid in 1820. Sure. You know, like, you gotta, it's, it's a lot harder than it is to be a kid in, 2020. Yeah. So I don't know, but I don't know. I mean, I think childhood is one of those things that I'd like, you know, also I think there's more runway in historicals maybe. Yeah. It's interesting because they tend to be longer. They tend to be more. Yeah. Right. Complex in terms of plot. Well, and also just like that world building, right? I mean, that's why they have to be longer and more complex because there's a different kind of world. Like, the yeah. world has to be rolled out before you. Yeah. So maybe there's more space for motivation to be hardwired. One of the things I guess I think about just like as a matter of course is how if you survived your childhood, mm. right? You you did something probably some of your siblings and some of your cousins like did not do. And you saw some shit probably, right? I mean, and that's not to say, right? I mean, like, look, that's, that's just really interesting to me. That's Because I think a lot of the things that, I mean, a lot of things that drive these, like, women in these books are things that happen to them. Things that, like, happen to them that it's, like, a responsibility, not necessarily, right? Like, it's not that I did wrong. It's that I have a responsibility, and the right. world, like, the deck is stacked against me, and therefore I have to yeah. like, take care of it the certain I way. I can't go to school. I can't right. get a job that pays me a ton of money. Right. My options are limited. Yeah. You know? If I'm not, I wasn't, 
if I grew up poor mm-hmm. and, um, you know, out of the aristocracy or out of, like, the gentry in historicals, you know, my choice, like, I can't be a governess. I don't have any training. I can't right. be, you know, respectable jobs are hard to not come around. Yeah. So how, like, okay, so... So what you end has, up with, uh, like, the 40 Elephants, right? The girl gang that I... Yeah, right. That is the inspiration for my series, The Hell's Bells, right? Where, like, they came from the South Bank from a place called mm-hmm. Lambeth that had a lot of poverty and had a lot of struggle. And, like, a bunch of these women decided, look, if we can't make it ourselves because the deck is stacked against us, as you just right. said, we're going to steal it. Right. Right. So what are... I mean... Do you think of, when you think of Bombshell and when you think of Heartbreaker, I mean, we'll talk more about Heartbreaker next time, so I don't want to spend too much time on it. I mean, I feel like a lot of your heroines have this, like, blueprint, right? Like, for certain in Daring and the Duke, like, for certain in Never Judge a Lady by Her Cover, like, but do you think it's, like, low-level kind of for all of them? Well, yeah, I mean, I love a character who's against the wall, right? And so, like, the way that you put a heroine against the wall is you take away comfort, Yeah, right? Like, it's a lot. Look, there are so many writers who write, like, wealthy, happy heroines Mm -hmm. who, like, you know, are just— And I've done it, too, right? Like, Nine Rules, the heroine there is—she's a perfectly happy human. She's just unhappy with her a lot. Right. Um— yeah, I mean, it's gotten the books. My books have gotten more like overly. People yeah. are not unhappy; they're furious. Yeah, right. And they're going to justice. Like an anti-heroine is somehow wrapped up in injustice in a way that an anti-hero is not. Yes, I think right? that's true. Yeah, I think that's really true. I think an anti-heroine in in romance, at least, and even honestly, in the non-kind of romance books, I think of. The anti-heroine is like, this world is wrong. I am going to step outside to see what I can do to fix it. The revolutionary power of women's rage. Yeah. Right. Right. Versus. Yeah. I'm, you know, I grew up in, I was born in a drain pipe and now I'm going to be a king. Because I'm Derek Craven. Yeah, it's more expansive. I think it's less. Selfish. I think one of the reasons I've been thinking a lot about this is there was this article in the Atlantic this week. I think it had Mm. kind of a, I think it didn't have the greatest title, right? But there was this like kind of line where it talked about how, um, and I actually feel like I should now like bring up this exact line rather than, than, than spitballing it. Because I was like, this is true, but wrong is how it felt. <laughs> you know, I don't know if you've ever had that feeling where you're like, that is true. I, what I wrote is, this is true, but so wrong, I can feel it in my bones. And the, yeah. the sentence was, um, it talks about like the formula of romance novels. And then it says this, the genre tends to be structured around accumulation of pleasure, of possessions, of status. The protagonist, who is almost always female, begins the novel with next to nothing and emerges having gathered all kinds of capital. And I was like, Woof. Right? <laughs> that doesn't and I, feel right at all. No, and that's what it said. I was like, mm-hmm. I guess I could see how a casual reader of the genre would maybe feel. Yeah, sure. Like, the hero has to be rich. The right, right. You know, the heroine comes from. I mean, this is a very particular time frame of romance novels. This right. one is clearly read. Right, um, and right. that you know. So this was. I just want to say this. This whole piece in the Atlantic was inspired by this book, "Inventing the It Girl," which is a biography of Eleanor Glynn, who uh, created the modern romance and conquered early Hollywood. And it's a biography by Hilary Hallett. And I just want to say, I'm about. I'm going to do an event with Hillary in September. This book is, you know, really fascinating. I had never heard of Eleanor Glynn before this book, and so you know, right. I'm. It excited. sounds really cool. Yeah. This piece is not by Hillary, and so. Right. Right. Um, and it seemed to have been written by somebody who, you know, hasn't read a romance in a long time. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting because this acquisition thing is really fascinating to me. You know, when right. when we were just dancing around, Derek, Derek create like, the difference between, like, building your 
casino to prove, to become a king of the world. Right. Versus, like, you know, using all the sort of scrapes and the scraping and up all the little scraps of power you can find as a woman in order to vanquish bad men or, (laughs) you know, Robin Hood as a highwayman, right? Or as a highwaywoman. Then the difference almost feels like, like you said, like the heroine doing bad stuff as a heroine has to ultimately serve community. And so maybe this, uh, we go back to this thing that we talk about all the time, a heroine, the heroine's journey, right? Like there's heroines, um, there's kind of a broader view of the purpose of a heroine doing bad stuff. Uh, and so maybe acquisition, I, while I, like she is, you are as a heroine in a romance novel, Everybody in a romance novel is acquiring stuff, right? They're acquiring love, joy, hope, whatever. But, like... Is that capital? It's not stuff. It's not... Yeah, I mean, they end up, obviously, like, you know, maybe they marry the rich duke and they get the title and the money and the house and the power. But that's not really what they're getting. They're getting community. Right. And they're making something. I mean, that's the other thing. I'm like... You know, you're, like, making a relationship, yeah. making also, friendships, making community, exactly. right? She taught that man to feel feelings. Like, right. she should get made. <laughs> well, and it's really interesting. Kate also had a really interesting thread where she's like, yeah, but, like, it doesn't also talk about the corollary, which is, like, what, if you're accumulating something, what's going away, right? Yeah. Loneliness, misunderstanding yourself or others, yeah. right? Kate had Filling this great list. The... So, you know, I think it was interesting to come across that line this week and really feel like that's not right. Right, like there, I can see. Well, no, there's also sort of a it's smarts of like, yeah, women being greedy, right, right, the gold digger. And I think that's why when I talk about like my sister, the serial killer, or Jane Doe, everything, uh, everything, not just anti heroines, every woman I think in a romance novel, every for sure, it's like I have things have been denied me, or I have lost something, or something has been taken from me and so like the restorative act of the hea is also like wholeness right and that's not capital uh, to me so it's just like a really interesting i don't know i guess i was really thinking a lot this week about like what does it mean to even like be at the center of a romance novel what is what are these characters trying to do and achieve right and it seems to me that like saying it's acquiring capital is just like I said, so wrong, I could feel it in my bones, right? Because even these heroines who perhaps are doing the things that are most greedy, unlawful, selfish on the surface are have another reason for doing what they're doing. And, you know, we can, that is also the patriarchy, right? We're not willing to accept pure villainy and an HEA for a woman the way we maybe would for a man, but... Exactly. In romance, largely, by and large, and I'm excluding dark romance from this for this purpose, but we accept a we accept a villain as the male protagonist of a romance novel right up until you know as long as at the end of the book he does something heroic, right? right? We do not accept a villain as the female protagonist of a romance novel until she does something heroic. Yeah. And we right. know what is driving it. Right? Yeah. I don't yeah. I, I think it has to be both. Right? She has to do something heroic and she also has to have had like a pretty good reason for being on the yeah. wrong side of it. So Lothair can be a villain for 375 pages. Yeah. But Sabine, the heroine of Kiss of a Demon King. Yeah. We have to see her with her sister from the jump. To understand why would a woman be this way. Part of me is like, I'm a little afraid it sounds like we approve of this. And I don't think that that's what we're saying. I think we're just oh. like trying to describe <laughs> Let me it, be clear. Right? That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> no, I mean, right? Like I, when I think about it hard, I think it's a bummer. This week's episode of Faded Mates is sponsored by Lumi Labs, creators of Microdose Gummies. So... Microdosing is one of these things that people talk about a lot. It's usually connected to the concept of psychedelics, but it also can be useful in sort of general wellness, performance enhancement, uh, 
anxiety reduction, which, you know, we all need, and sleep. Yeah, I mean, sleep for me is a big one, and just, or, like, managing pain. You know, if you don't really want to, like, deal with taking over-the-counter things that you think will be hard on your stomach, this might be something that you might want to try. A lot of people also report liking it for workout and recovery. Oh, that's interesting. I feel like if I took a microdose gummy before I worked out, I would just... I think it would have to be after. <laughs> Go right to bed. <laughs> After, everyone. That's an after. <laughs> that would be amazing. I need a microdose gummy that also makes me work out. Yeah, well. Our show today is sponsored by Microdose Gummies. They deliver a perfect entry-level dose of THC that will help you feel just the right amount of good. Microdose Gummies are available by mail nationwide. And to learn more about microdosing THC, you can either do a quick search online or go to microdose.com and use the code Fated Mates to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Links can be found in show notes as always, but again, that's microdose.com, code Fated Mates. Thank you to Lumi Labs for sponsoring this week's episode of the show. I have not read this book, but JJ McAvoy is on my radar. Mm -hmm. She has a book coming out at the end of the month. It's called Aphrodite and the Duke. It's this very cool reimagining of the Regency, a diverse Regency, where, you know, there are, there are many Black characters, Black dukes, Black people in the aristocracy, and um, it's a, you know, big Regency romance um, that I'm very excited for people to get a chance to read. Anyway, J.J. McAvoy, this is her first historical, I think, um, and so, but the in the past, she has written and continues to write many, many contemporaries. And one of the things that she is well known for is a series called the Ruthless People series, um, which is set in Chicago, your hometown. My face. Um, and what I really like, I have not read this, like I said, but I just downloaded it today because what I love, I love this idea, the sort of Irish mob and the Italian mob decide that they have to merge forces and become a kind of, sing- you know, you know, marry for in a classic historical way, right? Like the Normans and the Picts need to, you know, whatever. And so uh, the hero is from the Irish mob and the heroine is, this, he thinks he's marrying like some young, biddable Italian like princess from the mob. And it turns out she has been like fully trained as a maid mobster and like knows how to kill a man six different ways. And they are ruthless together. And it's interesting because I think um, that's probably as close as we can get to a truly anti-heroine in uh, contemporary is like, we are ruthless together. Right. Right. Mr. and Mrs. Smith style. Yeah. Um, I have one that is an interesting one. It's a motorcycle club romance. I've probably talked about it before because I really like it. Um, it's by Katie Wilde. It's part of the Hellfire Rider series. And... Starting with book number four, and these are like little short novellas, so like numbers four, five, and six are kind of like the one story of, of, um, of course I can't remember her name, Lily, sorry. I would not call her really an anti-heroine necessarily, but here's what's interesting about her. She is a full-fledged, like, member of her motorcycle club. She's not just like an old lady. And she's ex-military, right? She came back and she, like, the way, I think the way I, like, envision her anti-heroiness is that she is not interested in, like, sort of being part, like, kind of re-entering, like, regular society, right? She's like, I just want to, like, have the life that these men have, right? I just want to, like, ride my motorcycle and have my house and not really participate in sort of, like, whatever it is I'm expected to do. And it was like a hard sell for her. The way she's kind of squeaks in, of course, these men didn't really want her as part of the club. And the way that essentially she like gets in is because there's a rule that if like you petition to be a member and you have ex-military service, like you have to be considered. So she like gets in essentially on like a technicality. And then like the next couple, and then she falls in love with like one of the men in the club. And that is like its own bit of drama, right? Because, like, that's not how any of this works. Mm -hmm. So I really did, like, when I think about her as a character, I think the way she feels different is, like, in, right, like, regular society, the roles available to me in, like, regular kind of society are not ones I'm interested in. I turn my back on those. 
and I'm going to like choose and, and make my own path. Um, and so, yeah, I find her, I found her to be a really compelling and really interesting character, like for that reason. Cause I think that's like the closest I think I get to like, and like true anti-heroines is this isn't for me. I have to make something of my own. Meaning the path that you're on isn't like, path you were born into, so I have to choose something else. Yeah. I mean, I think that's really true, right? I think about, um, I mean, all of the books that are on my list are books where the heroine is really backed into a corner before she makes, like, Mm -hmm. to make her decision, with the exception of, I guess, Cressley's the player. No, she's born into it, right? Yeah. But I'm thinking about um, Caroline Linden, who we don't talk enough about, I think, on the podcast. Like, she I think writes she's a great, great historical, yeah. A great historical. Her book, What a Rogue Desires, is, um, you know, really, really terrific. And the heroine, Vivian, uh, and her brother were born, you know, on the streets. And they grew up pickpockets. And then as they got older and could no longer pickpocket as children, they became highwaymen slash women. Nice. And um, the hero, David, the hero of this book, David, uh, his brother, he's, like, protecting his brother's, like, estate. And he's carrying his brother. I mean, it's talk about sort of a a real um, MacGuffin, right? There's a, he's got a ring that is his brother's, and it's a very important ring, right? And uh, mm-hmm. he gets set upon by highwaymen. Um, including Vivian, and Vivian steals this ring, and he's so pissed off that it happened that he finds her, abducts her, and puts her into his, into a room in his house, you know, yeah, <laughs> as punishment. And then right. they, like, it's like, he beauty and the beasts her, except, you know, and then they fall in love. And <laughs> except she's, she's a highway woman, right? right? Because she had no other choice, Right. A kid who grows up on the streets and pickpockets people doesn't have a ton of options. Ironically, this is also the setup for Adelaide, the heroine of of Heartbreaker, is like, she grew up in a criminal world. Right. So to get out of it, you really have to have, like, luck land on your doorstep. Yeah. And even when you do, you know, being a criminal is a job. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, what, that's what a rogue desires. What other historicals do you have? I feel like I'm like Sarah's books. So yeah. Like, uh, the sword dancer, Jeannie Ling's the sword dancer, which we've okay. talked about the series before. Mm-hmm. This is a later book in the series that we, um, talked about. We did a deep dive on, um, oh my God, Jen. Uh, the... Butterfly swords. Yes, I'm like, the sword... Um, I was like, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we did a deep dive on butterfly swords. This is the fourth book in that series, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is, uh, the hero is a thief hunter. Mm-hmm. And there is a thief who's, like, marauding through Tang Dynasty China and, uh, stealing jade, Mm-hmm. And he stumbles upon a sword dancer, um, Li Feng, who uh, he believes, who is is a thief, like, has right. learned to, again, pick pockets and, like, move with stealth and grace to, to thieve throughout mm-hmm. a crowd. Um, she, you know, dances. She is spectacle. But then in the midst of her spectacle, she's a real grifter, you know. Um, in the midst of the spectacle, she picks your pocket or she, mm-hmm. you know, whatever – and he believes that she is this jade thief, and they are in a cat and mouse game, um, you know, for the whole book. And it's delightful, and it's per- like Jeannie's a great writer, and yeah. you know, we love her here. And um, but again, she has the reason why he thinks she's a jade thief is because she carries this piece of jade with her that like is the last piece of the last remaining thing in relationship to her mother. Um, when her mother, you know, she lost her, she you know was orphaned or lost her mother, she had no choice but to live this other life. And, you know, we talk all the time, and I've said it earlier, I said it earlier during this podcast, like, you, I know, love a heroine Mm -hmm. against the wall. And, like, here's the thing. 
when you are against the wall and you have no choice at all but crime. Yeah. Then you do crime. I yeah. mean, that's the, right. Right. Um, or maybe you don't like. I'm sure not everybody chooses crime, but you know, crime is certainly a way to get yourself out from the wall. Yeah, I would say. Okay, I have a paranormal I want to talk about. Do you have more historicals? I feel like I want to. Uh, I have Miss Bev. So Beverly Jenkins, who is amazing in all things, mm-hmm. writes a great heroine. Yes, absolutely. Steel, mm-hmm. and you know takes no prisoners. Uh, she's got a book coming out at the end of the month called "To Catch a Raven." That uh, and I mean the end. August twenty third is like a killer. Oh my god! So many a, like a million a books coming out for romances. So. Um, we'll probably talk about that on the Heartbreaker episode, just how many amazing books are out that week. But To Catch a Raven is out that week. Raven, the heroine, is a, a longtime con artist uh, and thief. It. And she, uh, through a confluence of romancy events, is required to um, – she she gets herself into a position where she needs to sneak into or masquerade her way into the home of a Confederate soldier or general who has stolen a copy of the Declaration of Independence. When you are required to masquerade your way into somebody's house to steal the Declaration of Independence, probably the best way to do this, (laughs) I mean, like, obviously, the smartest way to do this is to fake a marriage. Sure. So, I mean, obviously... So, um, Braxton, the hero, masquerades as a driver, I think, um, and... Listen, that's a great romance hero name. Braxton? Braxton. I'm in. Yeah, right? I love it. Yes. So, um, Braxton is masquerading as a driver. She's masquerading as a housekeeper. They are masquerading as a married couple. <laughs> and it's all designed to de- to steal this copy of the Declaration of Independence. Um, so this one, like, look, fake dating is everyone's favorite thing. But if you're going to read fake dating, read it written by one of the best. Yeah. And that's To Catch a Raven. Well, and that's so fun and historical, too. Like, right, I might feel kind of I'm over fake dating at temporaries, but, like, I feel like in a historical that I'm like, oh, okay, right? Yeah. But, I mean, especially because, you know, talk about a a situation, a high-stakes situation where, you know, two characters who are about to steal from a Confederate general (laughs) have to, like, really sell it. Yeah, I have, I am not actually even kidding you, so many books on pre-order that day that it's going to be, well, it's going to be a lot. Yeah. Okay, um, I, I was kind of on the fence about whether or not to talk about this one because I don't really think of it as a standalone. So I'm going to talk about it very briefly. I'll just give you like the the name. So it's Iron and Magic by Alona Andrews. And this is a spinoff of the Kate Daniels series, and I'm just going to be really honest. Like, I don't think you could read this on its own. Like, there's just—it really is built on this other series. So I'm not going to really talk a lot about it, because I think if you don't like Star with Kate Daniels, and then, you know, when you get to Iron and Magic, be like, yes, I should do this. Hugh is the hero. Alara is the heroine. And what's interesting to me about it is Hugh in the Kate Daniel series is essentially like a real bad guy. He is like the second in command to like the big evil whose name is Roland. And um, so you're, you know, when you heard that Hugh was going to get his own book, you're kind of like, how? He is the, he's a bad guy, right? Like just an unrepentant bad guy. And one of the things that I think is really interesting about Iron and Magic and just in general is, you know, for a lot of Cressley's books, like, right, like you get these unrepentant villainous heroes, the their partners instead are like the softest kind of women. Maybe they're snarky or funny, right? But like, you know, think about like Ellie and Lothair, right? Like there's no hard edges to her really at all. She's smart, but she, and she's, the world has beaten her. Well, Lothair has beaten her down, right? But she's, so she's strong, but she's not really like, Alara, when it comes to Iron and Magic, though, is just as prickly and uh, and hard to understand and 
and like recalcitrant and keeping like keep holding all her cards to her chest as he is. And I think it's just really interesting because it's a case where they are both kind of villainous. They both are, you know, they're well matched, not because they're opposites, but because they are alike. Does that make sense? So I can't really say much more about it because I feel like I don't but know. But that's how, it, right? Yeah. Right. That team, the teaming yeah. up. So when we talk about romance and like these stories specifically, often when you know, when we think about anti-heroes or anti-hero like characters who are anti-heroes, um, they are at each other's throats, right? Like that's mm-hmm. part of it. Like they have to be mean to the other character. Yeah. Um, but those team books really are yeah. fun. Right, and exactly. Because they feel a little bit like, well, I really love You and I Against the World. Yes. Yeah. And that's probably an irony to many people because I don't write <laughs> You and I Against the World ever. But, like, I really, because it's so hard to do. It's oh, so I'm hard sure. Yeah. To write characters who are working together. One of my, there's, I don't. You know, I don't, I remember like big broad strokes about books. I don't often remember like little details, but there's like this one part where, you know, they're really preparing, like essentially a bad guy is going to come. They, they have a marriage of convenience. They're going to like band together. They have like really different ideas about what they're trying to protect. And at one point she is kind of like, well, you know, we have this X, Y, Z thing. And he was like, why didn't you tell me about it? She's like, I don't think you needed to know. (laughs) you know and I just remember like him being like well when I was making up our defensive strategy it would have been nice to know and she was like yeah sorry but I'm not sorry yeah and I just right like and I just remember feeling like really fascinated by her like I will only give you the smallest bit of information I think you need it doesn't matter what you think you need yeah and that struggle between them is so intense for the whole book. And now, unfortunately, like I said, to read like 10 other books before you can get to it. But if you have read the Kate Daniel series, but not Iron and Magic, I would highly recommend it. I love it. Let me think. What about IAD? The Valkyries in general, I think of as being, right? Are they anti-heroines or are they just heroines who like <laughs> want stuff and get it? You want yeah. to talk about acquisitive heroines. Yes. Yes. That's the Valkyries, and I yeah. love it. The witches, too. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. like, maybe it's that. Maybe I'm not. Maybe they what I hate, works. what I don't like about that line that we talked about earlier about acquisition and, you know, the heroines, the getting stuff, like female yeah. protagonists getting stuff in a romance. Like, yeah, okay, but don't say it like it's bad. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. the witches and the Valkyries get stuff. Right. But they know their own worth. Yeah. Right? Uh, when Elixir comes rolling through and she's like, all these witches owe me taxes, I'm like, give her the book. Give her a book. <laughs> amazing. It really is amazing. I'm, I don't think we're ever going to get an Elixir book, Jen. I don't. Well, no. I think our, I think they're done. But you know what? Oh, there is some Cressley Cole news today. There's She's she's giving away. If you go to Cressley's website, you can get the first book in the Arcana Chronicles for free. There you go. To wrap up here, this is kind of why I found it tricky, right? Because once I started really thinking about it, it was interesting to me how the coding, right? The actual writing and the backstory is so much more well-developed for these characters when they're women. Which is great. Like, we're not sad about it. (laughs) No, of course not, right? Are we done? I guess my question is, are we done? I <laughs> I had a, like, maybe we should talk about J.T. Gessinger. Um, there's a series called Queens and Monsters. But, again, I feel like most of the women in that are, again, it's, like, situational, kind of situational anti-heroism versus, you know, deeply embedded anti-heroism. Molly O'Keefe. Molly. Oh, Joan. I would say Joan from Burn Down the Night is is to me. Jen's. I love all her Jen singing praises. And again, I feel like it's so hard. Like, I've talked about these characters before. So I didn't want to go over it. But yeah, Joan from from Burn Down the Night is going to ring that bell for you. 
in a way that's really satisfying. You know, it's funny because when we were talking about anti-heroines, I was like, well, would a heart of blood and ashes count? Mm. And I don't think so. No, I don't But, either. like, it has, it has that tough girl vibe that I like. Yeah. Well, in some ways, the first one, which is like a touch of stone and snow, she's an yeah. outcast, right? She's a lot more like the Lily character in the Katie Wilde books, right? Where yeah. she is an outcast, one who essentially has, but he's the one who cast her out and made it so that she couldn't be part of society again. And then she has to essentially like by herself figure out like a way back in. Right. Um, and then there is, of course, Julie Garwood's guardian angel. Oh yeah, Where that was the on She's a pirate. Is a pirate, Jade, obviously, because her. You guys guess what color her hair is and what color her <laughs> eyes are. Um, is actually the pirate Pagan. Amazing, yeah. That um, was that was real formative for me reading that back in oh, the day, yeah, right? Yeah. Oh, okay, here's one. What about Sky O'Malley? Oh. Who again, like? Isn't quite anti-heroine, but Mm -hmm. is a privateer, does carry an armada, does ultimately go up against Queen Elizabeth I. (laughs) Like, is the primordial historical badass heroine. Yeah. Again, please, like, take with many grains of salt the recommendations for these older books. There are. Read your content warnings and appreciate that they were written in the 70s and 80s. Yeah. But, um... You know, there's just something, again, all his struggles. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah. they, but then, okay, what about, there's, like, Susan Elizabeth Phillips's Ain't She Sweet, right? Like, right. Sugar Beth does a really terrible thing. Yeah. Yeah. Prior to the book starting. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the thing, though, to me, is, like, one really hellacious mistake. That's not quite the same. Yeah, right? Because that could be any of us. No, like, you want, I want, like, Heroines who have committed strongly to a life of crime. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Right. Exactly. So recommend them to us. Come and tell us. Uh, This is Faded Mates. You're listening to Sarah and Jen. You can tell us all about heroines who have committed to a life of crime uh, at (laughs) FadedMates.net or on Twitter at FadedMates or on Instagram at FadedMatesPod. We also want to thank our sponsors, Lumi Labs and Alexandra Harvey. You can support us by supporting them. We would also love to hear all about your favorite anti-heroines in romance and other women up against the wall who you think turned to a life of crime or whatever else they need to do to survive. We are here for it. We hope you have a great week and we can't wait to hear more about your favorites. 